Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Let's get it. Tim crushes this ball. He throws the bat. The ball goes flying. It is gone. Under the Hood, behind the scenes, nobody really sees. Four runs. Right in the air deep. Is it enough? It's gone. Ball game over. Hey, I'm hot. Jonathan Hood. I'm hot. Krasinski. Robinson. And Mack will take it all the way in for a touchdown. A lot of this is behind the scenes or under the hood. DeMarc in it. Oh! He didn't come for the massage. He came for the fight show. Oh, baby. Woo! Jonathan Hood. Oh, Put a body on that man. Breaks the hole. Swift got running room. Swift got to go. 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, Swift. Under the hood with Jonathan Hood. I'm the man. Nights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Live from Chicago, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Open phone lines for you 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood. Don't forget the Under the Hood podcast, wherever you download your podcasts. Look for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. That way you never miss an episode of our show. We've always got unique interviews, things you don't hear on ESPN 1000, things you do hear on ESPN 1000 from us as far as guests and content. Uh, So check it out, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. That's where you can find our podcast. Download it wherever you download your podcast. We appreciate your support and love you checking in with us weeknights at 7, wherever you might be. Thanks so much for listening to our program here on ESPN 1000. All right, this hour we will hear um, some more NBA draft coverage because we are on the precipice of the NBA draft tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Live from the Advocate Center in Chicago, it will be the 2019 NBA Draft Show. I will be teamed with Chris Bleck as we broadcast five-plus hours of NBA Draft coverage. Every pick of the draft will be heard. You'll know about it right here on ESPN 1000 starting at 6 o'clock on Thursday. Um, a couple of things here when it comes to the draft, especially when, it, when it, we look at the Chicago Bulls. There are a number of ways that the Bulls can look at this draft. At number seven... I would say that Jared Culver is a safe bet for the Bulls to take at seven. Now, a shooting guard is not necessarily what you want, but it all comes down to philosophy in these drafts, NFL draft, NHL draft, whatever draft. There's two different philosophies, right? The one philosophy is is that you draft for best available. The other philosophy is you take what you need. And I think it's pretty obvious that John Paxson is not enamored with what he's seen from Chris Dunn at the point guard position. So he's going to try to address that somewhere in this draft. First round, second round, I think he's going to try to address that. Unless he has had a 180 about Chris Dunn or some of the other players on this roster. There's a lot of question marks, more so than negatives, on this roster. Almost every player on that roster is someone you see and you're saying, I don't know what this is. But one thing that you and I both know is that what the Bulls are are not in the playoffs, and that's not good enough. I refer to the Darnell Mayberry piece that took place in TheAthletic.com, uh, patting the, uh, the brain trust, Pax and Gar, on the back for what they've done in the draft. And, you know, again, that's a great trophy to be able to be 
uh, in a position where you can draft players that are safe picks or picks that you feel that can be able to provide you some production. But if those players are always in suits, if those players are not helping you on the floor night in and night out, then what's the value? You have to be able to not only draft well, but also have value on those picks, and you hope to be able to really do something with those draft picks. And again, there are teams that you see at the bottom of the standings every single season. And when you see those teams, you know what they are? Those teams are usually in the top of the draft. Those teams are usually right there uh, in Brooklyn on lottery night trying to improve their teams. That lottery, it's great for New Orleans because they got Zion Williamson. It's great for Memphis because they are going to get John Morant. But normally, if you're bad and you're horrible and you're trying to be bad, you're right there in the lottery every year. And Chicago, this market, this city should not be in the lottery every single year. It should not be amongst the Sacramentos and and the Knicks and teams like that that don't know what they're doing. Chicago should be in that mix every rung on the ladder trying to get better every single year. And so maybe this is the start of it, but if it is the start of it, it won't be because of this draft. <laughs> At least I don't think so. I think that if anything's going to happen with the Bulls, it's going to be the core. But if the core can't stay healthy, then what is it? So some thoughts from Brian Winhorst, who covers the NBA for ESPN. Brian had a number of things to say. Um, first of all, he was talking about how he sees the rebuild for the Bulls. Well, they still don't have a superstar. Right. So, you know, that's the thing. Like, I, I, they, they did, I thought they picked up Otto Porter. I mean, I, they got him for next to nothing. Um, they they drafted two really good players with the seventh pick the last couple of years. Um, you know, Zach Levine, I think it's a lot of money, but if Zach Levine's your third best player, I think he'll be okay. The problem is he's not their third best player right now. They need to make it so he's their third best player. So, um, uh, I, I mean, they're, I think they're doing fine, but they haven't, you know, I'd say the same thing about the Lakers. Like, the Bulls have a much better roster than the Lakers do, but the Lakers have the two stars, you know. So, you know, the Lakers are farther along than the Bulls are because they have the two stars. Getting the stars is the hardest part. So until they get a star, I mean, I don't know how you can ever say a rebuild is complete. So thoughts there from Brian Windhorst. Also, there was talk about uh, whether or not the Bulls would be interested in the fourth pick. It is my understanding that the Bulls have a great interest in Darius Garland. So, I'm, you know, I don't know for 100% whether they have... Uh, whether they have talked to the Pelicans, I, I would, I mean, let, let me be 1 billion percent clear here. I don't know whether they've talked to them. It would make it would make sense for me that they would have, but um, I don't know that they have. Uh, the, the, the Bulls position is a little bit difficult, and I'm sure your listeners know this. This isn't a high-level analysis. Um, they want a point guard in this draft, and where they're positioned at seven, there's a possibility they could miss out on those top three point guards that everybody seems to want. But depending on how it falls, depending on where Garland goes, and depending on where Kobe White goes from North Carolina, who a lot of teams seem to like, and there's a chance he could go in the top six. Now, maybe he slides, and maybe the Bulls like him, but um, the Bulls are incentivized to at least look into the concept of moving up. Whether or not they actually are doing that, I don't know, but I could see them getting interested in that. So thoughts there from Brian Windhorst about what the Bulls should be doing as you're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. You know, sometimes you roll the dice, you say things on the air, and things start to come out, and uh, you got to pay the piper. you got to pay the price for it. So 
Our next guest, Ryan Hollins, told me this. Your expectation. Your expectation for Game Four is for the if, if a healthy Clay is good enough to play, you believe the Warriors will win, right? They absolutely win. They absolutely win. I give you like ten free interviews on the house if they win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ten free interviews. Well, here's interview number three of ten with the great Ryan Hollins from ESPN. Our basketball analyst. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN One Thousand, the ESPN app. Hello, Ryan. Hey, did you just bring me in as our, our basketball analyst? Well, yeah, now. I mean, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, on the house. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Here he is, everybody, our basketball analyst for Under the Hood, weeknights on the house. It's Ryan Hollins. Welcome, Ryan. What's going on, man? <laughs> you, know, you know, one thing I have not talked to you about, um, what was – what was draft night like for you in 06? What was the process like for you? Man, it, 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 it was tough because I knew I could go anywhere from the 10th pick in the draft all the way down to the 50th. And lo and behold, I was the 50th pick in the draft. All was good because I played 10 years uh, later, and obviously I had the, uh, I, I don't know, I guess is it like a consolation because a lot of guys weren't left in my draft class uh, later on 10 years down the line. So, uh, man, I, I came out of there with a chip on my shoulder. I was at ESPN Zone in Anaheim uh, with <laughs> members of my family, and I was actually drafted during a commercial. There were no highlights gone. I didn't even hear my name uh, during the draft. That was not televised for uh, the TV or, or any radio or anything. So uh, for me, it was like, hey, man, you've got some work to do. Here's what's funny. This is what's really interesting. I don't even know if our staff realizes this. We just had someone an hour ago that was taken 46th in that same draft on this show, just an hour ago. That was D. Brown. Oh, that's, and that's my guy right there, D. Brown. <laughs> and, and we were, you know, the later it gets, we were loaded, not just D. You had Booby Gibson. You had the Paul Millsaps. You had Rondo as a late first-rounder. So th- there were gems in that draft. It just wasn't early on. Bro, that was a hell of a draft. If you got there's some well, obviously with you being in the league for ten years, but there's quality in that second. Steve Novak is in that draft. PJ Tucker's in that draft. Wow, James yeah, Augustine. Yeah. No, there were, okay, I mean, yeah, we had a good, I guess, solid group of guys that uh, you know panned out. It may have not been the sexiest draft. You know, this wasn't a a LeBron and and, and D Wade and and, and Bosh and Melo draft, but. Uh, you know, we, we we had pros, we had guys that lasted, and that, that, that that's a pretty cool thing. That's ultimately the goal at the end of the day. That's what you want, and, and that's what I am pining for, Ryan. I would love for these upcoming. And, and here's the problem: there's so many freshmen in this draft or projects in this draft, and, and it's it's kind of like I see the top four, and I see some um, some quality, possibly four through ten. The rest of these guys, you have a, there's a lot of bigs, and I want you to address this because as I take a look at this draft, we're going to be calling a lot of names of guys that are 6'10", 6'11". They may not have today's skill set, though, when it comes to wanting a big that's versatile, that can step out and hit the jumper, that can be able to give you what you want around the, around the basket defensively. What does that take for someone um, with, with quality size to be able to be drafted high in this draft? Well, you had you have you hit it right on the head, and uh, I don't know if this was our discussion earlier. They said, "Will the big man ever come back in the NBA?" 
because mm-hmm. Golden State just lost. Are we trending towards playing sides? Because if you look at a Toronto Raptors team, they played essentially a, a decently traditional power forward in Pascal Siakam, uh, uh, a traditional center in uh, Marc Gasol, yet skilled. But the one thing their bigs did is they hit shots and they were able to put the ball in the deck. They were playmakers. And if I'm looking like a big guy now, or I'm a young big guy that I'm going to, uh, you know, kind of mentor, you've got to be skilled. You've got to not just have a post game, but you've got to be able to make plays, uh, make plays outside of outside of the basket. And, and look at Laurie Marketing, the success he's had. The dude has a wet ball, bro, and that's why he's one of the top picks. Uh, it was one of the top picks in the draft, and he's really been one of the shining stars. And, and if you do a redraft, I mean, Laurie's going every anywhere from uh, from, from two to five, you know, arguably so. So. Uh, if, if you're going to go big, you've got to go skilled. And the name of the game right now is versatility. What did, uh, as we talked to uh, Ryan Hollins with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app, what did the scouts and coaches want from you when you came out? Because obviously all of us saw you at UCLA. You came, you got to watch the Bruins. And you were just, you. from what I can recall from you in, in college and definitely going into the pros, you seem to take all the highlights away from everybody. All your highlights were either the key rebound or dunks, and there wasn't even house of highlights back then. But you would have been on there like every other, oh, yeah. <laughs> every other game. So <laughs> I mean, you would have you kept stealing the show, which was kind of interesting. Like man, this guy, all he does is just steal the show with like highlight dunks and, and embarrassing people. What what did the scouts want from you in in the process? Well, for me, since I was athletic and I was tall and thin it was always questions of size. And it was, hey, why does this guy not play a lot of minutes and then all of a sudden he shows up in the national championship game? Uh, n- nobody wants inconsistency. Nobody wants to make a bad pick. So that was the, the big question there. And, you know, what was in my factor is that I'm a true 7-footer. So you've got a guy who's all of 7 feet tall uh, on the roster. That was a premium. It, w- it was, I don't want to say shoeing to the NBA, but everyone had point guards in size. And a big knock and even a guy like Paul Millsap was that Millsap wasn't a seven-footer. He wasn't 6'10". And the worst name, and I don't even do, Jonathan, I don't know if you've heard this in a while, this name, tweener, it was the worst thing you could be. That was like the kiss of death for any player to be a tweener. Have that list. I'm 6'8 I'm to 6'7", and I'm a post player, and I'm not quite a wing. What am I? Right now, tweener is gold. If you can play defense, you're about 6'7 to 6'8 to 6'9 and hit an open three, that's gold. There's no such thing as tweener anymore. It's not a bad word anymore. Is there a big in this draft that you're looking forward to seeing the next level? I have a list of them in front of me if you'll need me to go through them. But I I see a lot of work for a lot of these guys. Like I don't, No one jumps off the page like Zion, obviously. But, Ryan, I don't, I don't see like a Jackson Hayes from, from Texas – uh, you know, I don't. I don't see it uh, from him in particular. Do Do you have anyone in particular that stands out as far as a big? I'm highly intrigued with Bobo. Uh, <laughs> he's a kid with extreme amount of length, size. He's a he's a good athlete. Uh, he's coming off an injury, and you, and you know we we can never peg a guy off an injury coming off an injury, but. When you're 18 or 19 years old, those injuries are pretty irrelevant. If we're not talking about hips or, or, or lower back or, you know, things like that. And, you know, you can even look at guys like Joel Embiid. He had lower back issues. He had questions, and he's, he's, he's absolutely just fine. And the injuries are still there. But 
I mean, you're getting you're getting enough bang out of your buck if you're uh, if you're Philadelphia. So guys like Bobo, man, he really really intrigues me uh, going into the draft. Uh, if I'm gonna look outside of some big guys, a kid over at uh, at USC, Kevin Porter, man, I think that's a steal there. So uh, there's a number of guys that uh, really are intriguing me when it comes to the draft. <laughs> you and D Brown love Bobo. Because oh, yeah. because D D is D as and he's coaching the UIC Flames now, so he's got that that coaching eye now, like he had it as a he's point guard all, as a player. Dude, he's, we played ni- under nineteen and under basketball. He's always been a point guard, bro. He's he, like he's oh, excuse me. He's always been a coach. Like nothing about that surprises. Yeah, always so had a coach's mentality. <laughs> he loves Bobo too because he 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 like you is saying, okay, accentuate the positives, hide the negatives with him. Try to find the spot where Bobo... Now, okay, here's here's the positives. The positive is second-generation ball player. Can run the floor, when healthy, of course, and he's got the wind. Can run the floor like a point guard, take it to the basket. Uh, 75-80% free throw shooter. That's impressive. I just, but you know it's more than that now for a big, because now you want that guy to be able to knock down threes, too. Which which team is going to take him when he when he doesn't have the wind to get up and down the floor and can't shoot threes on a regular basis? Because that's what you want. That's what a lot of coaches want now, right? Well, he's not a horrible shooter, but really, if I'm looking at my big guy, can you guard five positions? Are you athletic enough to do that? That that that's the big question right there. And if you can do that, you've got a chance for success in the NBA. So with his size and athleticism, I mean, you want to be as athletic as you can. I mean, look at even Golden State. They they really struggled without JaVale McGee. There were points in the the NBA Finals where you said, golly, man, you wish they had JaVale McGee back or JaVale McGee would be playing, you know, 20, 30 minutes in the NBA Finals right now. Ryan, um, we had an end of an era today. Very sad. I lit a candle. It was very sad today. Um, The official end of the grindhouse. Uh, with the Conley trade to Utah, that was the end. That's the official you, you, end. You didn't, you didn't mention when Ryan Hollins didn't, didn't renew his contract in Memphis. You, you, <laughs> that, that didn't list the, the end of the Grindhouse era, man. <laughs> you're someone under. You're where somewhere like around Tony Allen leaving. You're you're in that area, you're like somewhere in there on that list. You're in there. Um, sad. What, what are your memories? Because that was. You all were automatic 50-plus wins and tough as hell to beat in the playoffs. That was always that first, second-round matchup where it's like, man, you don't want to play the Grizzlies because they will play you tough. Well, the, the one thing that I know from playing in Memphis and playing against them in the playoffs is it was throwback basketball. You, you literally uh, saw a unit of guys that – we're comfortable with playing slow. Where everybody's talking about push the pace, get out and run, uh, you know, do the little things, do all that. Memphis is like, we're going to play slow. We're going to grind you out. We're, we're going to rebound. We're going to defend. We're going to hit you. And you had to be comfortable playing in, in, in somewhere around the 80s or 90s type of range. And they loved that. And it would, I mean, it absolutely takes the wind out of yourselves as a player. And I, one thing I know from being there, is you, you, you relished it as a player, and it wasn't a sexy style of basketball. And the one thing I know from the fans is that you know they appreciated rebounds, they appreciated uh, you know getting a big stop down the stretch, they appreciated the little things. It was it was a culture thing. Like Memphis 
fully, fully embrace the grit and grind type of mentality. And even guys like Mike Conley, it hurt his career in the sense that people don't know, just to the naked eye, now Jonathan, I know you're a, a basketball purist, people to the naked eye don't know how good Mike Conley is because he never played in the up-and-down system. And he actually had a lot of success this year because they actually started to run. They snuck up on people. They went smaller. They ran. So uh, you're absolutely right when you talk about the, the end of an era. Uh, and John Moran is, is looking. We can almost shoe him in at that number two pick unless uh, you know something wild happens and he, he goes number one. But uh, it, it, this is a, a monumental change in, in Memphis, and they are moving forward. Uh, I'm a little confused with the, the, the movement of, of coaches there. It's, it's kind of a coaching nightmare, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll see what they're able to get done. You like Mitchell, Mitchell and Conley, uh, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley as a one-two punch. That should get, take some pressure off of Mitchell off the ball for sure, right? Oh, man, absolutely. And the one thing, Rubio was a little riddled with injuries. Uh, I love because Ricky always made the correct play. Uh, uh, but the one thing about Mike is he can score the basketball, and he's a basketball player. What do I mean? Mike Conley can give you anything you need on the court. Right hand, left hand, attack the basket, uh, pull up and shoot the J. And I couldn't be happier for him. But I spoke to him uh, during the All-Star break, and he was just like, hey, man, let's, let's just get this thing over with. Let's move on. Uh, he was happy for Mark, uh, obviously, being moved. But, you know, he wanted his opportunity, and that's a playoff basketball team. And it changes the dynamic of that Utah Jazz. All right, my friend, what you going to do for the draft? I will be working on Now or Never out in L.A., so I, I will be on some late-night TV. I know, I know you catch all our West Coast shows up there, so uh, you, you're going to have to come and check us, check me out, man. Well, I won't call you tomorrow because you're busy. I won't bother you. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't, I won't, I, can I do the show? I, I don't know. I'll check the time, man. Should be <laughs> <laughs> you still owe me. You still owe me. Let's see. Ten minus three. Seven more. Seven appearances. Seven. Yes. <laughs> Seven more appearances. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh poor Hollis. Oh well. Bet to bet. <laughs> well, have a great time, man. I'll be hosting the draft show myself, so I might just call you. We'll see. All right, brother. <laughs> there he is, Ryan Hollins, our NBA expert, because he lost the bet. Yes, lost the bet. He owes us seven more appearances on Under the Hood. Speaking of, uh, in the NBA draft, let's hear from Jordan Cornett coming up next. Jordan Cornett, part of our staff here at ESPN 1000 and uh, working with Spain and Company on ESPN Radio. We'll get his thoughts about the NBA draft, and that's coming up next as you're listening to Under the Hood. Jonathan Hood. Hold on, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished. When I bought ass tomorrow, y'all thought it was winning. On ESPN 1000. Maybach music. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Reminding you the NBA draft is tomorrow. Chris Black and I will team together to bring you the NBA draft 6 o'clock on Thursday night. Hope that you're with us as we give you every pick of the NBA draft right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I got a chance to talk to my guy, Jordan Cornett, part of our staff here at ESPN 1000, the former Notre Dame Fighting Irish Center, was with me. We talked about uh, a number of things, including um, what the Bulls could be doing with the number seven pick. How do you see, after Barrett, Morant, and Williamson, how do you see four through ten in the draft? Uh, I think people think the Knicks are crazy, and for good reason. The Knicks at three, 
Uh, I'm saying for good reason, for other decisions that the Knicks have made. But for them to say they want to do their due diligence and not just say for sure they're going to take RJ, who most likely will be a three, says to me the Knicks are are, on to something that the nation doesn't seem to be catching up with. And that is the fact that Darius Garland was believed to be the best point guard coming into this college season. Darius Garland played five games at Vanderbilt this season due to an injury. John Morant got all the shine, deservedly so. He seems like... To me, a generational talent. He seems like he's that kind of good. People believe Darius Garland was as good or better. Jonathan Gavoni had this guy pegged as the guy at the point guard position. And he's forgotten about because he was injured. He feels to me like watching Damian Lillard. He feels to me like an immediate impact guy. He's a guy that's now jumped Jared Culver in a lot of these mock drafts as the fourth pick. I think people are starting to come around on, hey, maybe this isn't a three-man draft. Maybe Darius Garland is that fourth guy. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, the Bulls are a team that, that is really being aggressive there. A, a Bulls front office that has been trying to figure out who they are and trying to figure out identity for that franchise. They're another team that says, we want to go out to four. And I think it's because people are falling in love with Darius Garland, and rightfully so. I think this is a guy, can you call it under the radar if he's projected at five or six? That's not a fair term. But what I do know is everyone that thinks after RJ Barrett, it's it's nothing is wrong. A veteran point guard versus a young rookie point guard. That's what you have to weigh if you're the Bulls, right? Because it's pretty clear John Paxson said, without saying it, that he was not a big fan of Chris Dunn. He doesn't think that Chris Dunn is the lead guard for the future for this team. That's fine. But I need you to be able to identify who that is. Like, are you scared of Pat Bev? Too much during the fear nails? Too west side for you? Too wild, wild for you? Or because he can't shoot, but he can't shoot. Okay. I like, hey, I'm right there with you. I like the dirt underneath the teeth. I like the West Side flavor. I like a guy that's ready to man up and get up in anybody on the floor at any time. That's a guy that's going to help a locker room like the Bulls locker room. Mm-hmm. But I just wish he could shoot a little bit more. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's just the thing. I, would, yeah. I wish he could shoot a little bit more. And Darius possesses that. Their franchise that needs to get a point guard, and there's point guards in this draft. I'll tell you another one I like. Kobe White Mm -hmm. covered a lot of North Carolina this year, did a lot of their games. Love Kobe White. Another guy that people aren't talking enough about. But when you did mention, and I didn't answer the question, very amateur of me, when you talked about the lower end of the draft. We're just having a conversation. Yeah, we're just chopping it up. That's why I like hanging here with you. We're just friends. Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome is a guy that nobody seems to love because he doesn't jump the highest. He doesn't move great laterally. He's not going to win in the sprint. He may not embarrass you with the crossover and, and get into the lane like that, but he can do that. Ty Jerome, to me, is a guy that's going to have a long career in this league, and I'm telling you, day one can have an impact on a franchise. People got him in the lower end of the first round, and that's a guy that has great value, and he's a winner. Uh, out cue. There you go, Felix, right there. There's your Ty Jerome cut for the, for the draft. There we go. And in, right there. NC, right, right there. So you get, thank you for the clean out. Appreciate yes, that. There you go. You have mastered the sound bite, sir. <laughs> this is Jordan Cornette with me, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Oh, so, okay. So, um, Cam Reddish, a thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, thumbs down. It's, it's, a, it's a hard one. And I, there's, there's two ways you can look at this. I watched a guy who struggled to produce alongside the first pick of the draft and third pick of the draft. Mm-hmm. If you can't get cooking when you're playing next to two megastars like that and the defensive attention is going to go on those caliber of talents, you're out there playing. You're out there. It's open gym. You're just taking shots because you're wide open. And you still can't shoot at a high percentage and produce 
consistently 15 to 16 points a game, that's problematic because if you can't score like that, when can you score? Mm -hmm. And for a guy that came in with that kind of uh, highly touted, as highly touted as the rest of them almost, and, and just never really found his group. Now the other side of that is it's hard to keep up with guys of that caliber. Zion and RJ, ball-dominant guys, they're getting theirs. Where do I find my footing? I've gone from being the megastar everywhere I played to being a distinctly third fiddle. And that probably hurt him a little bit. I would just like to see a guy who's getting that clean of look still knocked down at a, at a more impressive clip from three. He's billed as a 3-and-D guy. I didn't see enough D. I didn't see enough three. So for a guy to go as high as he's projected, which could be as high as into the top five, maybe... I wouldn't feel comfortable with it. I don't like the Bulls taking him at seven. I don't. I'm not going to tell a kid to stay in school, but boy, if he needs more seasoning away from Zion and away from RJ Barrett, it'd be him to see what he can do as the man. You would want to prove that, right? But you're also gonna you're also gonna be getting paid top ten money. I get it. Yeah, we we both get that one, right? Yeah, I just I don't know what he is. That's why I came to you because yeah. I don't I don't know what he is in the next level. And, and this is the analysis you're gonna get from me on this one. I I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know what the scenarios I just laid in front of you, and I lean towards if he can't get it alongside those two guys all season, I don't feel comfortable that he's really going to get it. But he's young, and he can evolve. And that jump shot is pure to watch. He's got pure mechanics. It's a pretty sight. He's long, he's lean, and he's got athleticism. So it screams 3 and D, and that is something that you want to put on your team to build. I just I thought I'd see more. But, again, it was only one year, right. buddy. It was right. only one year. Yeah, it's, it's hard to be able to determine. I, I'm i looking at some of these other names I want to ask you about. Draw um, me some other ones. Okay, so and I'm trying to find, because I saw like the majority of your games. So I'm trying to find, <laughs> trying to find some ACC love in here. DeAndre Hunter's one that people like. You saw, Yeah, you covered him. I like him a lot. He, I wish he was a more fluid athlete. I, I, in the one-on-one, he was forced to do a little bit more one-on-one this year, and he did show growth there. I don't think it's as fluid as it needs to be, but he's a sound defender. Got a lot of spots on the floor. He's a good stretchy out shooter. He can play a bunch of different places on the floor. And to me, that's very appealing in this era of versatility and interchangeable pieces. DeAndre Hunter possesses that. He's a consummate professional. He was asked to lead that team, and he did, all the way to a national championship. So you, you showed the evolution when it was most needed. Those are things I like. You like Jackson Hayes? Jackson Hayes is from my hometown. He's a Cincinnati guy, explosive athlete, comes from a family of athletes. Very raw, mm-hmm. incredibly raw. Six eleven, four or five freshman from Texas. Rim runner, changes ends beautifully. Shot blocker, high level athleticism. He's not a guy that's going to be the rookie of the year in the NBA. He's not going to put up those kind of numbers, but he he complement a roster and a and a and a, a fourth fifth piece beautifully. Uh, he's a guy that knows his role, and he's a guy that I think can develop a jumper. And if he does, that, that guy can really turn into something. Seen a lot of Jackson Hayes in the draft, I guess is my point, in, in years prior. Um, elite athletes that are long, lean, and change ends well. Show me a little something else. Give me a little bit more to sell me on why you should distinguish yourself amongst the rest. See, in my big, I need three-point shooting. I need to be able to get to the basket. I need to be able to get rebounding. I need to have some intangibles here because... 
you know, again, you love your guy that could be able to get the, the ball to the basket, back to the basket, around the rim. I want him to show – I want some of these bigs to show me a little bit more. So you ain't draft, dra- drafting Jackson Hayes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That you, you, you want more boxes to be checked that, in my opinion, aren't checked quite yet. But, again, he's one of those incredibly young pieces. Does Bruno, Bruno Fernando check that box? I've had a Maryland? chance to watch Bruno, you know, working out here in Chicago, too. He's a specimen, but I, I just feel like – he lacks it. He's a brute, but he doesn't have enough to him. And watching his workouts, I wasn't impressed. See, this is what I'm talking about, man. I see a lot in the in the top of this draft, and I see a lot of a lot of projects and a lot of G League. That's not. A, I'm just, no, I'm just you're saying. not even clowning. Like that's yeah. real. Yeah. That's real. It's mm-hmm. a lot of. There's a lot of projects. I think those first three guys are locks to be success. Mm-hmm. As much as you can call somebody a lock, I feel very confident about those three. I have, as, as much as I've heard and started to see and hear a ton from people, Darius Garland is creeping into that, oh, it's only three guys, as a fourth guy that complements that draft is top heavy, fits into that upper class of this draft. So here's what I've been talking about, Jordan, Jordan Cornett with me, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here's what I've been saying. While you've been on the beach, I've been here working, toiling. <laughs> I haven't been working. I've been, been toiling. I've been toiling. And I've, here's what I've been saying to you, sir. And you should have been listening on the, on the beach. <laughs> Shay wasn't having it. <laughs> she should have tuned in. She already hears my voice. She didn't want to hear two of them. <laughs> I have headphones in to, see, to support a brother. So, I, I, so here's what I said this. I said that no matter what the Bulls do at 7, right, you're going up, you're going down, you, you stand, and it's usually for the Bulls, they'll probably stay at seven and find a player that they want. It's really not about Thursday for me, for the Bulls. It, it's okay. about what their roster is. Number one, staying healthy for sure. an entire season to find out what your core is, which I don't know what their core is if they're always hurt. The other thing is, too, that in free agency, you got to be able to identify that, that lead guard. If, you're, if your free agent, if your biggest free agent splash is what you did last year with Otto Porter, that's fine, but you got to be able to add along with that. I just don't like. It's hard for me to determine what Bulls basketball is if half of them are always hurt. Yeah, because tell me when you talk about that core, who is, who fits in that core? Zach fits in that core. Yeah, Lowry fits in that core. Yep. Uh, we're throwing Wendell Carter in that core. Have you seen enough of Wendell Carter to believe that no. he is? I mean, obviously he's a, as a core part of the future, but what has he proven to you? Is he played enough yet. basketball to be to, to to say comfortably this guy's going to be a great pro. There's a great upside. There's a great ceiling. There. Chris Dunn, look as a guy who never got to that level, I don't feel comfortable knocking a guy, so I won't go reckless with my criticism. But he hasn't proven to be a worthy pro that's been gifted the position of point guard in this in this league. He's not. He doesn't feel like to me an NBA point guard. Chris told me at the hotel in Continental he's going to be the best point guard in the in the draft. When he was drafted a couple years ago. And I wouldn't have argued that. Right. Coming into Providence, <laughs> right. I loved him. I thought it was a little bit of GP with a little bit more length and a little bit more size and had that grit. It's just, he couldn't figure, he can't, I'm not going to say couldn't. That, that's past tense, like the time has come and gone. He has not figured out how to be an offensive guy yet in this league. And his defense hasn't wowed me either. What butters his bread? So as I look at these bulls, I say, I like Zach. I like Lowry, although Lowry stumbled at times, but then really put on an impressive stretch. Outside of that, I, I, if Pat Beverly made his way on his team, I, I would have wanted more shooting, but I like the fire that he brings, and he could probably elevate the rest of the guys around him in a different way, unlike the way Chris Paul was supposed to do it in Houston. Because that didn't go well, did it? 
So the thoughts there from Jordan Cornett as Milwaukee has traded Tony Snell to Detroit. That just happened. We thank you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Our thanks to you for listening. Our thanks to Jesse Rogers, to Chauncey, to D. Brown, Michael Rothstein, Leroy Butler, Pete Bursich, and Ryan Hollins. Show produced by Felix and Sean on the other side of the glass. And let's do this coming up tomorrow. Full show, full draft coverage starting at 6 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app, as I team with Chris Black. So for our entire crew, it's John the Hood. I will talk to you at the Advocate Center in Chicago for our NBA draft show right here on ESPN 1000. Jonathan Hood. I'm so hood. On ESPN 1000.